Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Now, Selangor has led a clutch of Malaysian nations, or rather Malaysian states, refusing to hold polls this year. Before the parliamentary term was terminated on Monday by Prime Minister Ismail Sabri Yaakob, paving the way for a general election. The main federal opposition pact, Pakatan Harapan, had said that all three states it controlled, Selangor, Penang and Negeri Sabilan, would not call concurrent state elections. Before dealing with the year-end flood, to find out more, we're now joined by Malaysia Bureau Chief at the Straits Times, Shannon Teo. Hi, Shannon. Hi, guys. How's it going? Okay, I guess. And everyone looking to Malaysia, where there's expected to be political intrigue for longer than expected, it seems. So now we've heard from the Chief Minister confirming that there will be no state election after he had an audience with the Sultan. What can you tell us? What else emerged from that meeting? Well, I really wish I was there, but I think we have to note that the ruler himself cannot dissolve a legislature on his own, but only after a request from the head of government, in this case, the, the chief minister, Amiruddin. So in this case, there was no request. So the chief minister, what he was doing with the statement and he was speaking to reporters, is basically putting forward the fact that in discussion with the ruler, the Sultan was in agreement with him that there are more important things to do now than hold an election. So when we talk about more important things, what exactly are we talking about? I know the floods are definitely on their radar. Yeah, the floods is the main thing, right? Staring everyone in the face. Yeah. And a lot of people, whether it's governments or just private citizens, a lot of people are just preparing for what might happen. So I was speaking to someone earlier today and they were saying that Malaysians still have a sense of PTSD from the last floods. Mm. A lot of homes, you know, the entire first floor was inundated. They had to run upstairs. There were homes where even after the third time cleaning, you were still getting mud um, stuck to walls and things like that. It was pretty extreme last year, so people are bracing for that. But aside from that, I mean, um, it might be easy to forget in times where there are no more mask mandates, but we are still coming out of a pandemic. A lot of businesses, a lot of economies, a lot of families are still suffering in Malaysia and, and not least in Selangor, which is kind of like the economic engine of Malaysia. It's the richest state and it was impacted quite a fair bit over the last two years. So the Sultan apparently was also saying, I think we need to focus on this, getting the economy back on track, making sure people are okay. And then we can hold an election. After all, it's only due a year from now. Mm. Which way do you expect the other two states to go, Penang and Negeri Sembilan? Well, there has been some noise coming from Penang. I mean, it's, it's uh, been confirmed now by the, the BAP Secretary General that uh, the Penang state leaders want to hold their polls now. Uh, he didn't elaborate why exactly, but I've spoken to some of the leaders there and off the record they're saying that, you know, it would be tougher to hold a state election on its own next year because they're not a central state, right? So a mm. lot of people in Malaysia do live and work elsewhere in other states, especially in the Klang Valley. And for an election, they travel back to their home states to vote. Now, if they do a state election next year, they're expecting their supporters to have to travel back to Penang twice in quick succession. Now, people will travel back for a general election. It's a big deal, right? It's a national government. But for the state government, they might not be so compelled, might not be so motivated. So that's that concern. That's number one. Number two is that they're also concerned that if Pakatan Harapan doesn't win this GE, then opposing forces might coalesce into a federal coalition and, and form government. And in the next state election, if it's held next year, then you might not just be facing 
two different opponents on separate corners of the ring, as it were, but they might coalesce together. You're looking at facing against Amno and Pass together, MTA and Gurakan together. So that might present a tougher challenge. You know, Shannon, if we looked at the situation objectively and we tried to balance all of the concerns that you just mentioned, what do you think would be the right move to make? Have the elections now or wait? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, I wasn't prepared to answer that because I'm not a politician. But sure, sure. No, I, but I, if in your I conversations with a, analysts and so on, yeah. what have they been saying? Well, I, I think that you, if once you've said something, they've all said that we shouldn't do it now. If they go ahead and do it now, then you fall into this trap, right? Because what Amno and Versatu, their opponents have been saying is that Pakatan Harapan are full of promises, but they never follow up on it. Mm. So now you said and you've threatened that I'm not going to call polls now. I don't care what you do. I'm not going to do it now. It's irresponsible. What is the message you're giving to people if you do do it now? I mean, the political calculation aside, there's so many different factors which affect how people might vote. But this further fuels the narrative that Pakatan Harapan was just full of promises but no implementation. So I think they've got to take that on board. But there's also... The difference between if you are in Slango or Nagri Sambilan, which is very central states, any voters who are based there can easily go back and vote. I mean, it's, it's a drive away. Um, so they might have a different consideration from Penang. So I get both sides of the argument. Penang is not in the centre. Slango and Nagri Sambilan are in the centre. So they might have different you know, political calculations. As they have you heard any news from the other three states that are controlled by PAS, Kedah, Kelantan and Tronganu? Because they yeah, also so said, what, said to wait, right, till after the year-end right. floods subside. Exactly right. So um, they are supposed to be deciding today. There's also a PAS meeting today. Plenty of meetings today, right? Pakatan mm-hmm. Harapan are also meeting to get a final decision today. PAS is also meeting today. There's no decision has been heard yet. They are still uh, locked inside their rooms. So uh, we should know by tonight how many states are going to be dissolving, how many states are not going to be dissolving, how many state elections are going to be having next year after the floods. Any developments from Peyrak as yet? Uh, in in Perak, the chief minister, he got to the palace just after 2pm. And uh, it's been two hours. Uh, I'm not sure if he's left yet, but so far we don't have any official confirmation from Ipo. But we know that the chief minister, uh, Sharani, he has uh, indicated that he's going to abide by the party's stance and ask for a dissolution. It's just a question of whether the Sultan is going to grant it. Shannon, analysts have also noted that Perlis, which is also under Barisan National, will dissolve its legislative assembly after it tabled a bill to enact the state's anti-hopping law. And this is something we've been talking about for the last few months, the anti-hopping law. How significant will this law be in the coming election? I think it's something that people might vote on. Not really, but it is significant in terms of should someone vote. Now, there's obviously been a fair bit of instability in the past three years in Malaysia. Elected representatives have changed sides. Some have changed sides more than one. They're kind of fickle-minded. And so we've seen four prime ministers in as many years in, in Malaysia. And this affected not just the voting public, but investor sentiment as well. There's, there's a fair bit of wait and see with regards to Malaysia. So the anti-helping law, although it's not perfect in its, its current guise, does provide some comfort, I think, that there will be more stability going forward because it's going to make it more difficult for individuals to just hop around whenever they like it. And, and there has been some voters' apathy stemming from the sense of, you know, they say, what's the point? I can vote for party A, but if their candidate wins, then can jump to party B, party C anytime he or she likes, right? 
So this law itself might not make people vote one way or another, but it might encourage people to vote. As in, you know, it kind of reduces this sense of my vote doesn't matter. It does matter. If you if you vote for this guy, it's going to be very difficult for him to change path halfway through the next term. Shannon, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about Mahathir Mohammad. <laughs> he also announced that he will contest in the Langkawi constituency during the upcoming election. A lot of people asking, wow, why is he still contesting at his age and after what he's oh, well, been through? Yeah, well, I don't know. He still seems pretty healthy to me. I mean, he's been in and out of the hospital. But if you ever see him in person talking, he's completely lucid. He makes a bit more sense than some other politicians I know. I'll just put it out there. And I think if you talk about political calculation, I think it's that his party, Pajuang, really, it's a new party. Uh, you know, they broke away after Bersatu decided to work with Amno. If you're being honest, they lack any star power besides Mahadeh himself. You know, if he doesn't contest, that's going to impact the rest of the Pajuang candidates, right? It, it will seem like Mahadeh is just there as some kind of patron. He's not really running the show. So that there is also still this lingering na- narrative, you know, that in a convoluted set of circumstances after this general election, that Mahadeh could still be, you know, called upon as some kind of uh, compromise candidate, some kind of mediating role, um, you know, that, that he's still relevant to mainstream uh, and, and high-level politics, right? So I think that's why he's still going to contest. Pedrang needs to win seats, right, to be relevant, to have any kind of uh, say in what's going to happen post-G15. And Mahade is kind of a better bet than anyone else they have. Mm, what sort of cachet does he have among voters? Well, I think he's still widely respected, right? Um, even though if you, go, if you trawl through social media, people make jokes and make fun of him as, as you know, being an old man. They call him Ato, you know, short for grandfather in, in some circles. But I think if Mahdi walks into a room, no one's going to be hurling insults at him. He still commands mm. a lot of respect. He has a certain stature. I mean, even his biggest critics will still sit up, pay attention if he says something. And there have been calls for him to play a kind of, you know, uh, ambassador at large kind of role to, you know, Malaysia kind of with its revolving door of, of prime ministers. There is a sense that whoever is leading the country to go for international forums, whether it's ASEAN, APEC, any, you know, so so many of them out there, like a bit of, you know, if we're talking about star power, right? But Mahadi does still command that. And if he can be a kind of an envoy of whichever is a sitting government, of what are Malaysia's uh, long-term diplomatic kind of uh, you know stance or, or policies, and he can play a pretty important role there. So, I think among voters, there's still this respect for him, right? He still commands the room when he walks into it. Um, it's just a question of whether he thinks that you know he should be leading government. Um, maybe not. Well, I guess that remains to be seen. The thing is, Shannon, who would you say are the most important groups of voters in this election? Well, um, there's a lot of talk about Undi Lapan Blas, right? What they call uh, yeah. this whole thing where they lower the voting age down to 18. So that introduces a larger cohort of first-time voters than in any other election before this. So there's a lot of people, um, if you count the cohort between 18 to 25, these are people who've never had a chance to vote before that's going to be about a fifth of the electorate. And if you kind of extend it to about the age of 30, if you talk about young voters as being uh, 30 and below, that's about a third of the electorate. And you can cut up the demographic and get a third of the electorate in any kind of age group, right? You can just extend 40 to 60, and that might be a third as well. But why this particular segment, I think, Mm. is kind of crucial is that because 
they are the least branded, right? They, they don't have party loyalties. They are not lifelong supporters. You know, you can go out to the field and talk to someone and they will tell you that, oh, I don't care what the politicians are saying. I don't care about the campaign. All my life, I voted for touching, right? Which is a symbol for Barisan National, the scales. Mm. And I'm going to do it until the day I die, right? You will get those kind of, right? You won't get that amongst the first time voters. They've never voted for anyone before. And if you look at the turnout of the Johor state elections, uh, which was the first to to see the lowering of the voting age uh, in, in back in March. Now, young voters, the turnout was lower than the average. And on one hand, people could could dismiss it and say that you know young people have political apathy, and so on and so forth. But it could just mean that they are pickier, they are more careful. You know, they they live in the age of hyper information, right? Mm. They they get things so much thrown at them. And that maybe they're just holding their fire, but their votes are there to be won. If their turnout was less than 50% in Johor, it does mean that it's more than half of them that any particular party could excite, could energize and get them to vote for them. And, and we're mm. looking at a very close fought election. So any few percentage points could mean, in fact, uh, deciding a lot of different contests across the country. So... I think this cohort is going to be crucial. I mean, mm. It's not going to be just about them, but they can swing a lot of, of different contests. And we, if we look at the previous uh, state elections, whether it's Johor, Malacca, the margins are very slim. With a few percentage points, Amno won a landslide in Malacca, but their share of the vote wasn't that much higher than Pakatan Harapan. So these few percentage points would matter. Right, so there's certainly room for persuasion there. Shannon, we've also heard that a Malaysian lawmaker is actually seeking a court order to stop the general election from being held. How serious is this? How seriously should we take this? Well, I mean, I don't think that the challenge has you know, any kind of good chance of succeeding. It, it does feel more like a, a political kind of uh, messaging. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's what politicians do, right? You find yeah. a sexy and you kind of say that, you know, it shouldn't have been done because of the floods. But the, the entire uh, way in which parliament was dissolved was completely legal. I don't know anyone who believes that it shouldn't, or well, rather that it was done improperly, that the, the normal legal procedures were not followed. So uh, I, I don't think this is any chance of success. But if you were part of the opposition right now, you do want to keep this narrative about uh, what they're calling Undi Banje here, which is Malay, direct translation for flood vote, going on as long as possible to kind of accuse Barisan National of being irresponsible. So filing a summons in court is one way to keep the narrative going. A lot of media have picked it up um, and they'll probably be campaigning on this all the way until voting day. Shannon, since you mentioned floods, the dissolution of parliament means the budget, along with flood mitigation measures announced, are no longer valid unless they are resubmitted by the next government. What does this really mean for the states that don't intend to hold elections soon? Well, they do have their own, within their own little state budgets, uh, flood mitigation plans as well. But it's nowhere near the quantum of what the federal government can do. Now, on the one hand, budget 2022 has been passed from last year and there are flood mitigation projects in there and they should continue to be carried out. But budget 2023 also sees things in terms of immediate relief. Now, we know this flood is not just going to be in November and December. It's going to continue to January. And in, in some are saying that it could last even up to February or March. So you do still need to approve expenditure for next year. This flood isn't going to to you know, be with the rest of us on December 31st and saying goodbye to everyone and goodbye to 2022. It's going to continue all the way uh, up to early next year. So for the states that don't dissolve, 
hopefully the state governments are still intact. They can still go down to the ground. They can still see where are the areas that are worst hit in the state and do something about it. For the other states, the civil service are still there, but you don't have the political leadership in place. You don't have them, you know, uh, able to use their executive power to make preparations over the next few weeks until a new state government is formed. So for the likes of Slang, for the likes of, of the rest of the states which have already had state elections earlier, their state governments are intact. They can use the next three or four weeks while everyone else is campaigning to get ready for what I'm hoping aren't very bad floods, but what could be very bad floods. Thanks very much for that very comprehensive update, Shannon. Really appreciate it. Shannon Teo, Malaysia Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.